So we're going to be ready in three, two, one. Howdy. Welcome to the Managing Expectations podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Winger. Managing Expectations is a production of Pacific Century Media and is a weekly dive with interesting uh, people and things, the thoughts, words, pictures, speech, and actions that make the interesting things out of the mundane and ordinary. I am uh, without my aide-de-camp, Brian Grimm, but uh, we are uh, not alone. Uh, We have a special guest with us uh, uh, today. Um, uh, Pete Jans is uh, one of my uh, jock friends. Uh, uh, One of the guys... So uh, uh, it, it's remarkable that we have anything to say to each other. Uh, guys like Pete used to uh, give me swirlies in high school. But um, welcome, Pete. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted. This is uh, episode uh, 14B, 14 Bravo of, uh, of uh, Managing Expectations. We uh, are uh, trying to get back on track after uh, uh, a couple of uh, uh, misses and we got off of off of uh, the regular we, we had uh, Apple podcast had uh, episode was counting us as episode 13 and we were counting 14 and so uh, with 14 B this will actually be the 14th episode with Apple podcasts so um, Pete you uh, 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 you've worked in and around uh, athletics, and you you came up playing sports. Uh, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm glad to. Uh, basically, I was raised in a pretty athletic family, all boys. Uh, my father was a baseball player prior, you know, his whole life growing up. Uh, he attended Notre Dame, went into the Marines after that. I think right prior to going into the Marines, he was kind of, you know, toying with the idea of playing with the White Sox. Um, But I guess the call to being a Marine aviator overtook the idea of fielding ground balls at Comiskey back in the day. Um, my My older brother also was a baseball player, played through college, uh, was a, you know, again, a prospect of the Phillies. Um, and unfortunately got in a car accident and that ended baseball career for him. Um, myself and my little brother continued on. We both played, you know, high school. I played through college after college, got into coaching, uh, been in high school athletics about 20 years before I, you know, took a little detour to do some personal business, started an LLC baseball school in California. Um, tried my hand at that. I know now that was uh, probably not the area to be in, but what, what, I'm sorry. What, what's LLC? Limited Liability Corporation. So my own little business. Oh, 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 sure, sure, sure. Okay. So uh, tried my hand out there. You know, ran into a pretty good population of ex-pro players. So my business card was a little different than theirs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any Cy Youngs or batting titles or you know. A, complex it's as big as a sam's mine was kind of the back of a florist shop that they told me i had to keep it down till six (laughs) o'clock well you know those prizes and stuff that stuff gets so political 
I mean, don't 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 beat yourself up about that. No, I mean, I you know, I always wanted to see if I could do it. It probably would have been better to start, you know, that kind of thing in Missouri, get it established, and then you know, go out with a little bit of a track record, other than just going out with wide-eyed and passion and saying, hey, I'm going to throw my flag in the ground here, see how I can do in Southern California. But, um, yeah, we had a little bit of, you know, a little bit of traction going, then rent problems, and that was that. So, luckily, I got to coach and teach out there, so I got to continue to, you know, feed that part of my passion. Now, you mentioned uh, back in Missouri, so you're a St. Louis guy, right? Uh, forty four decades worth of St. Louis time in my under my belt. So yeah, I consider myself a St. Louisan. Um, tell us, tell our, uh, tell tell the audience, uh, those who haven't, uh, who aren't familiar with uh, that that part of the Miss uh, the Midwest. Um, uh, what tell us about St. Louis? What's what's uh, what's the story there? What's the deal? Uh. Well, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great city. It's small enough that you can get everywhere within 20 minutes. You know, the little pockets of uh, the ethnic neighborhoods and their restaurants and their culture, shops, all that kind of stuff. Easy to get to. Uh, in my opinion, very friendly people in St. Louis. Uh, that might be, you know, proximity to the Anheuser-Busch Brewery makes everyone a little friendlier. But... Uh, <laughs> They're there. They've, you know, they've been there. They drove the Cardinals for a long time. Uh, so you have the brewery, you have the arch, you have probably, I think, voted the best zoo that's still free in the United States is there. Um, Forest Park, which is kind of midtown area, you know, voted one of the best parks in the United States. Just has museums, has you know, green space, golf course, all that kind of stuff. Really centrally located, easy to get to. Uh, just I, I I really enjoy the city of St. Louis. Um, it's the uh, the arch makes it the gateway to the west. Is that it, it does? Is that the is that is that the tagline? That's yeah. That's what they built it under. That guys. Yep. And that was designed by Eero Saarinen, right? The uh, correct the yeah. Finnish designer. Yeah, who did the uh, TWA concourse at yeah. in, in New York and and uh, did LAX, the iconic part of LAX. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing because you think about the gateway to the West, but the building it's situated north and south. <laughs> Don't overthink but, it, Pete. Well, I guess if you went east and west, you'd be in the river, so that would be a problem. So I don't think his technology quite had that capability yet and when do they i mean i I could wikipedia it but do you do you happen to know when they built the arch it was early 60s i believe i think the final piece i want to say went in in 65 66 something like that okay uh I mean, they, you know, they made a big deal. That, like, everyone took off work the day the last little section was going in. And uh, so, yeah, I don't quote me on the year, but I, I want to say it was back then. Early to mid-60s. Well, it seems like it's been there forever, but uh, yeah. mid-20th yeah. century. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's a it's, it's a pretty neat monument. I, you know, think of 
all the places I've been and the monuments cities are known for, I mean, that one's pretty unique for sure. Now, it, it, is that did Lewis and Clark set out from there, or was it like St. Joe? I thought it was St. Joe on the western side of Missouri. Well, I think they... Uh, you know they had their stop in St. Louis. I mean, after you know Choteau and all those got got there and got it established. Lewis and Clark. I mean, they have their they had their time in St. Louis, but I think their expedition took place like from uh, a little farther west. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, and I guess if you so even if it's even if it's a PR and a tourist attraction, they they surely went through St. Louis. Yeah, uh, and, no doubt. Yeah. And being on the Mississippi, you know, people forget that there haven't always been, uh, there hasn't always been an interstate highway system. So, right. I mean, cities and, and communities grew wealthy uh, based on their access to products and, and, and things being shipped up and down uh, yeah. river rivers. And I think back then, you know, I, I want to say the Missouri River was probably the one that Lewis and Clark went up more. I think that's right. Because uh, um, that goes a little bit more north northwest after you get up you know, somewhere up there. I don't know where. <laughs> um, okay, so, you, you know, I was, I was five years in Kansas City, which is right. uh, a fine and provincial town. Um, uh, but, but the attitude of most Kansas Cityans was, um, that St. Louis was a little too Eastern for their, for their tastes, <laughs> that well. they, that they took it faster, that they were, uh, that they weren't quite as friendly. Well, it's probably, you know, that the idea of people coming from the East and didn't want to venture any farther West, you know, back then, they, you know, more, because uh, you figure once you get out of Kansas City, what do you got? You got nothing till Denver. You've got, it's 500 miles till Denver. Yeah. And A desolate nothing. After you cross, it was a Walt Whitman that called it an, an ocean of grass. Um, but well, and in fact, the prairie schooner, a covered wagon right. was called a prairie schooner, uh, right. at, like it was crossing water. Um, yeah, 500 miles uh, through um, disgruntled engine, Indian country, and um, uh, you you get to you get to Denver, and then you're looking at the mountains, and you're hearing about uh, the the Packard expedition, and you think, you know what, Denver's not a half bad place. We'll just stay here. Yeah, I agree. I think that's how a lot of these towns along those routes got started. It's like, uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. We're good here, you know. I mean, why would anyone start Dodge City? I mean, how do you uh, come up? I mean, unless your wagon broke down there and there was nobody to fix it, there's no reason to start anything there. Well, now, wasn't Dodge City, though, uh, developed after the, the trains were running? So cattle drives could converge in a place like that. Yeah, but I, I think they were, you know, probably up and going a little bit before that, you know, though. Well, I guess, well, all my history knowledge comes from TV, so I'm thinking about Tombstone, but they did have the train there, so I guess that's... <laughs> I think that that's how Doc of, Holliday got there. That's right, yeah. I, I don't, Going I don't, back to our thing, the arch was completed in 1965, so I was close. All right, nice work. 
All right, good. So uh, huge. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's very impressive. So um, uh, now, now, would you call St. Louis a sports town or is it a Cardinals town? Well, I think after the Blues won, I mean, it's always been a sports town. Um, I mean, they, well, for the most part, supported everything pretty well. I mean, back in the day when they had, you know, indoor soccer, where there were you know, 20,000 people a game at indoor soccer back in, you know, the late 70s, early 80s with the St. Louis Steamers. Seriously? Um, yeah, they that always been known as a soccer town i you know i know they had a lot of great players and st louis university was a powerhouse back in the day um but i i think i think if you would ask majority of nine out of ten are going to say st louis is a sports town uh the cardinals are probably at the top the blues winning the stanley cup puts them now you know right over the shoulder whereas before i think you had your you know two factions you have diehard cardinals where everyone there is they say they're a cardinal fan uh the blues kind of more of a blue collar you know that kind of crowd for the blues um you know lunch pail hard hat kind of guys but now they win the stanley cup now you know everybody from every starbucks location in st louis knows you know says they're a blue says they're a blues fan now would know what end of the stick to hold <laughs> Um, and then they lost another football team, right? They did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This... Probably the only city in the United States where their stadium leases are year to year. <laughs> are Is you that... sure you're going to be back next year? All right, well, see you later. Um... But I, I don't think, I mean, I think initially people were mad just because they did want to, you know, deal with other people saying, oh, you lost another team. But I think, you know. That one was easier to swallow than losing either of the other two. And the Rams, all right, you had your year in 99. Great, right. thanks. Mediocre after, you know, Warner and Falk just kind of going through the motions after that. So, you know, they left. It wasn't a bit. I mean, if they would have done the Robert Ursay and left under, at night, no one would have cared. Um, before that, they lost... Uh, the car the the Cardinals now the uh, Arizona Cardinals but they were the the St Louis Cardinals were there for what 35 40 well, they years were, yeah I mean they were there all through 70 I mean you know I think I want to say that uh, there was the Chicago Cardinals I don't but, know like in were, the 30s yeah and then Saint the big red St. Louis Cardinals were there for yeah 60s through 80s probably early 90s or whenever they decided that's, to go to Arizona it, 80s. That seems right and I, I'm sure that it's I'm sure it's entirely my age that makes it seem funny to even acknowledge the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, now uh, Dan Deerdorf uh uh, is a uh, he 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 always talked about um, he was a, an offensive lineman for for the Cardinals I think in the seventies right and he always just would talk to guys about just because he was such a, a a very good player such a great player arguably a great player who never I don't think he ever played a playoff game did he 
if he did, it was only one, maybe. Yeah. Because uh, they had the, the year with Jim Hart, so uh, the cardiac cards back then, I want to say they may have played one in 78 because they had a real good offensive line. Terry Metcalf was running, the, you know, carrying the ball, so they, they had that. If they didn't get to a playoff, I mean, they I think they did one. Okay. I want to say. But you're right, yeah, Dan – Dan and Jim had a restaurant chain that I did accounting at for a while. Uh, Jim Hart, the the quarterback yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. So he and Dan had a, a six restaurant chain that they kind of, you know, their steakhouse was Deardorf and Hearts, which is, you know, was pretty well regarded. Uh, and the rest were kind of specialty, a Mexican place, you know, a couple other little shops. But, yeah, they were both pretty nice guys. Dudorf was a ma- massive man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the University late... University of Michigan. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Did he grow up in St. Louis? Uh, no, I think he's from uh, the football heaven of Ohio. Can- Canton itself? I think he's around, from around there somewhere. My goodness. Okay. Um, another... Uh, St. Louis guy of note is Bob Costas. Is he? Is he? He? I mean, he he still has a home there, right? Um, um I I don't know now. Um, again, the well-known guy. His son played on my baseball team at the school I worked at. Um, so Bob, you know, would come to games when he was around. Um, great great guy i mean it was so much fun to talk to him he's so unassuming just sat in the bleachers you know i think just reading the paper a couple of times and hanging out but i think now he mainly uh lives in i want to say in new york outside new york somewhere that makes uh, sense because his son works for mlb network oh is that right uh, yeah so i think he's up there now more if, if you were in a if you're in the, okay, so you're you you played other sports, well, first, okay, so let me go, let me go back to a couple things. One is your dad was a marine aviator. He was. Uh, uh, during during Vietnam. Uh, right, right. Before, I mean, yeah, it was. It would have been like, I guess it would have been right before Korea, fifty four, fifty five. I guess fifty-five. He was out in well. That was after. That would have been after Korea. Oh, after. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, uh, So (laughs) you know, my most of my experience with uh, well, all of my experience with marine aviators is the great Santini. So (laughs) you 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 seem to you, you you talk more highly of your dad than uh, Pat Conroy did of his. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm glad my dad didn't have a whole lot of time to watch that. Enjoyed He enjoyed the book. I know that. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, uh, everyone got a copy in my family. So. Really? Not just one. Every, everyone got one. You yeah. didn't? Well, he was doing okay for himself. He didn't make y'all share. Yeah, no. He's... <laughs> Now, <sighs> okay, so so you grew up playing sports and mm-hmm. um, mostly baseball, or did you play the whole gamut? No, I played through high school. I played all three: football, baseball, basketball. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, no. 
mainly baseball and that but um and you okay so i guess i want to ask this question did uh um when you were playing baseball uh did you have a a, a fat kid who got one inning in right field uh, who could be counted on to lose it in the sun uh, in a playoff game? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> I would say there's not a team in organized sports that hasn't had that. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's part of it, you know? I mean, no matter where you are, where you grew up, that scenario happens and you know okay every 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 expert begins as a beginner right uh yeah well i okay yeah well, we're talking mine about probably wasn't a playoff game so we probably weren't even that lucky <laughs> um uh so you were a third you played third base you said in college yeah i was a shortstop in high school just because i wanted to always be involved uh really kind of you know between my dad and my high school coach who was you know such an influence on me just learning how to how to do things mentally and prior to action because I wasn't the fleetest of foot let's be honest um <laughs> but I'm the guy, well, I'm the I, guy I can, they say was I, in you know anticipation was really high okay so I I would you know in layman's terms I'd cheat you know, I'd get an idea of counts and where we are in the order and what was coming, and I'd, you know, start moving my body one way or another, and most of the time it worked out. Uh, well, that's not cheating. That's that's usually <laughs> I mean, right? Well, I could have just waited for it to be hit and go and get it like Derek Jeter, but no, I had to pretty much already be going before the guy swung and hope he hit it where I was going. <laughs> uh any stories about misjudging wildly? So you zigged when you should have zagged? Oh, well, I've always, you know, I always use as a reference. I, I took a lot of pride in my fielding, you know, keeping errors down. I was um, like one of the, the first sophomore fielder to play varsity at my school under the coach that I really admired. So that was a huge honor for me. So as a sophomore, I was a little shaky. Uh, I was nervous all the time. Uh, I think that's where my sweat glands went into overdrive. Uh, I wanted to say, I, you know, so I had a, a rough, rougher fielding year that year than, you know, I probably, I think I want to say I made 10 errors, 12 errors in 21 games, something like that. So not good. So then after that, I, you know, I spent all my summer in between football and basketball seasons, just working on fielding, you know, all that kind of stuff, fundamental. So the next two years I had one error in two years and the one I had, I was directing a guy when the guy threw a pitch and the guy hit a line drive off my foot. I didn't, I didn't even know it was coming. Everyone was like, look out, hit me in the foot. That was my error. And I argued that I called time and that play shouldn't have counted, but, to no avail. I it was didn't overruled go. by everybody. <laughs> ah. But yeah, that, that was that was one of them. Um, I never had a Conseco fly ball off the melon or anything like that, so that's good. That's good. Uh, yeah. So nothing, you know, terribly crazy that I look back and say, "Oh man, that's not good." 
Yeah. That's not good. I've seen it happen. I've been on teams where it has happened. Uh, you know, Colin, I got it, I got it, I got it, and right in the bridge of the nose, it's like, well, you got it now. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to, if there's a camera, you're going to have it forever. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm so glad I grew up in the age of none of that being around. Um, if you were fast enough to take Polaroids and get a flip book out of that, <laughs> I take my cha- take my chances with that. But yeah, there was no video record of anything I did up until the age of like thirty-seven. So that's good. Uh yeah, and or um, if you're like me, you've destroyed every picture of yourself <laughs> in in a mullet. I mean, but. <laughs> Bono can look back on his his <laughs> his youth and say, "Well, you know, that's who I was on the way to becoming who I am now." But, uh, was it as good as like the John Daly mullet back in the day when the golfer had that bright uh, yellow okay. kind of just? I'm not saying I had a mullet. Right. However, if I did, it would have been like a punk rock new wave kind of oh. mullet, like oh. um, like a Rick Ocasek. No, I don't think it was that long. I mean, it, it, it might be get it might be that long before the COVID crisis is over, but it wasn't <laughs> that long as a teenager. Yeah. Um, let's see, it was I don't know, uh, maybe like uh, do you do you remember those John Waite videos? Uh, John Waite, who is the singer with I the went babies, to, went to his concert in California. See, I saw him. I saw him at the Rainbow Music Hall in Denver. Uh, he, he was awesome. Yeah, it was good. It was a good show. Good yeah, show. it was. Uh, years later, I put him on a flight to London. I, I worked for a year at um, uh, a major American airline. Just oh. saying, yeah. And um, I also put Bob Costas's uh, statistician on on a flight and I oh, talked yeah. I talked to him for a minute and he was really interesting, really nice guy. And he gave me an NBC Sports um uh hat. Which yeah. is which I still have. I do too. I have a Bob Costas signed hat too as well. Okay, well, you know, it's not a competition but mine's not signed. Not okay. Signed. Yours was uh, yours was signed by the statistician. <laughs> <laughs> or did he just put like Stan Musial? Uh, I think he gave me a hat and after, oh, see, well, see, I think yours is a little older. Yeah. Uh, Mine's, mine's, mine's black and, uh, the logo's a little smaller, a little tighter. Oh, nice. So they were making the, uh, the concessions to, uh, you know, youth, youth culture there in the early (laughs) nineties. Um, so what about your, okay, so you. You speak very highly of your high school coach. So he's a big influence on you. Yeah. Um, isn't it safe to say that a lot of guys... Uh, well, I don't know. We're, it seems like there's a lot of tyrants, petty tyrants, who end up coaching. Uh, well, not your guy, though, right? Well, again, there's, you know, on my team of guys over those three years... I bet, you know, that's probably 54-ish guys in three years, you know, that came and go on different grades that went through. And I bet, you know, if you polled them, there's probably, you know, a good handful that did not have the same view I did. Uh, (laughs) I guess, you know, if you, you know, 
did things his way and you you know and you played a lot yeah obviously you're gonna like him if he didn't play you you're probably not gonna like him. i see or how he went about telling you that you weren't gonna play or you know your improvement methods may need a little bit of a upgrade um yeah i mean there's no doubt back in those days when you know coaches coached most likely how they were coached you know the the yellers became yellers because that's what they knew that's you know how things worked back then hey i'm gonna we're gonna yell at you we're gonna you know do that he didn't he didn't do a lot of that he kind of I, I think that's kind of where i got my even keelness if i have one as a coach i, I don't ever yell i mean uh, my dad told me he's like if you have to yell you're not teaching well enough I mean, there's there's no reason to yell if they know what you want them to do uh-huh. so uh i've always gone with that so if i do yell then everyone kind of knows that the alarm's off you know that there's something <laughs> definitely wrong um <laughs> at the at the school i got to work at here guys were telling you know, you're a very big guy to talk very softly you know i mean it's I, I i like the idea of teaching kids how to do you know play a great game uh-huh. um i just wish you know you could do it you can't do it completely i mean there's too much of it to try and teach everybody you know i mean there's some that's got to be innate and in the passion that they have to you know bring to learn some of the things we can't do hands-on wise you know um but, you know, being in a baseball field with, you know, high school guys going through that competition, I mean, that, that's what keep me, uh, have kept me young, I think, or younger than I feel. <laughs> <sighs> no, you're holding up, you're exactly my age, and I think you're holding up terrific for an old guy. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, so, uh, I mean, are yellers on the way out? Are they a, are they a relic of the past? Well, I, I think, you know, you have in today's culture, you have so many parents that, you know, are, are just not wanting their children to, you know, experience that kind of negativity or, you know, that, you know, it's not a self-esteem thing. It's, you know, as I've always at the school I, I worked at, it's always been an ownership thing. You need to drop your son or daughter off with the coach. And that's where your responsibility ends. Let them do their job. If something comes, you know, down the road where you don't like the way they're treating your son, okay. But, you know, let them do what they do. They're, the school has hired them to be a professional doing that. Yeah. You know, if you don't like the way they do it, that's one thing. If they're, you know, stepping over a line towards your son, great. Then it's time to step in, but... Just the way they're delivering a message, that's not really, you know, up for debate. Yeah. You know, we, we want all those kids that age to, you know, advocate for themselves. If, you know, if you're not playing, your mom and dad don't know what you do at practice. They might not know as soon as you come out, you know, you sit down, you don't do anything, you grumble, whatever. The coach sees that. So, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. And, you know, I've always told our coaches, it's, you know, we don't go into the operating room and step up in that gallery and say, hey, no, no, we're not using those those spreaders. Use that one over there. <laughs> More suction. 
More, more suction! <laughs> you know, I, obviously those two things are not even comparable, but the idea being, you know, let us do what we do and, you know, see what happens. Let's see, you know, your son take a little initiative for their own well-being success and, you know, we'll see where we go. I mean, I think you're going to get much more out of it the more they have to stand up for themselves. Sooner or later, they're going to college or going in the army or trade school or wherever they're going. You're not going to be there. Uh, the, drill, the drill sergeant's not going to take calls for mom. Hold on, guys. I got to hold on. Uh, Mrs. So-and-so's going to call and say that, you know, getting her son up at 4 a.m. is not real good for him. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I mean, have you, I, you know, I, I don't want to go too far down this tangent but i mean there there is all this talk about like helicopter parents uh who are hovering all the time i mean and 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 also about a a generation that um uh was raised on participation awards mm -hmm. that there are, there mm -hmm. are no losers this has not been my experience in life um, right uh that as I as as I survey the passing scene, uh, no, there are winners and there are people who you know for whatever reason uh, you know I, I mean you know either bad decisions or just you know a bad break you know don't right. you know you know struggle and you know they're the they're the Cleveland Browns now people are saying that the Cleveland Browns are could actually be good yeah. again yeah. but uh, they haven't they haven't been in a long time. That's you gotta true. go. You gotta go back to Ernest Biner. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean that's a credit to them. Those people are still that passionate about it. You know, it's probably those last time they were good. Probably their sons' sons are now the fans Bernie, there, but Bernie they're Kosar. trying. I mean, it's you know I, I like that they have a little enthusiasm. I think they needed someone a little bit you know brash like a Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, hopefully he'll back it up and had a good little bit of time last year. But you need pieces. I mean, just like any team, you know, we'll, we'll see how the Patriots do without Tom Brady, and you'll find out whether it's, you know, program or personnel. I mean, hey, if anyone can run a Belichick system, okay, but probably not if to that level. Are you familiar with David Halberstam's book, Education of a Coach, about Belichick? I, I, I know him, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so it would seem that um, Belichick designed a system where, uh, I, I mean, he runs it as a, I mean, it, it, it's the Patriots are definitely a business. Mm -hmm. uh, they bring people in often for, at the end of their career get a get a get a solid year or two out of them and then are pitiless remorseless in cutting them letting them go right and um that that seems to work for everybody except brady who was just the constant was just the who did yeah. things that uh, not even drew bledsoe could do right now i there's you know there's got to be something said for how you know that that culture within the building and uh, if it's from Belichick down and all the coaches great if it's you know player driven a lot of it as well but hey when you get guys 
you know, and they get in that building and you say, look, you do it this way or, you know, you're at Burger King tomorrow. We, we have, you know, you need us. We don't need you. We need you to come in, do this specific thing. That's all you have to do. Yes or no. Yes, sign here. No. All right. Good luck to you. But, and I think, you know, watching that last dance, that Michael Jordan thing, uh-huh. that series, I watched some of that last night and it's kind of the same way that, you know, they're interviewing players that said, hey, on the court, Michael Jordan was kind of a, you know, bad word. But, <laughs> but Th- thank you. Then, I didn't want. I don't want to have to pull the trigger yeah. on the explicit. <laughs> I don't want the sponsors to bleep me. So. <laughs> but then they, you know, they interview him, and he's like, "Hey, I had an expectation for myself. I was going to make everyone, you know, come up as far as they could to that expectation, and that if they wanted to get along, great. If they didn't." it was going to be a little rough. Yeah. So, you know, guys who he knew weren't going to be up to his level, but he was going to get all you could out of a Steve Kerr, you know, all you could get out of a Bill Wennington, a Luke Longley. Those guys were going to play above what they had been and probably what they thought they could do. By the way, I, I still contend that when the Bulls were putting out on the floor Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, uh, Horace Grant, or Coach, that I could have been Luke Longley. I could have played center for that Bulls team. I could have two rings right now. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's true. See, it, that ad probably went right by in the paper. You didn't see it. And <laughs> Help wanted. <laughs> this whole thing could have been different. So... <laughs> Uh, uh, leaden-footed white guy to stand in the middle of the circle <laughs> and, let, it was, and let MJ yell at you. That was the history of the Bull Centers with Tom Borwinkle and Longley and Bill Wennington. I mean, they had their share of immobile offensive threats. Oh, oh yeah. But again, at the, at the time when they needed six points in a the game, they, those guys would get eight. And just because probably they didn't want MJ yelling at him. Yeah, probably. Which I wouldn't either, but. Well, so, well, I mean, and I guess I I need to watch it myself, but, and I intend to, but, you know, so busy. Uh, What's the, um, I mean, what was Phil Jackson doing? Was he just staying back and letting MJ do his thing? Well, you know, Phil's down the Zen road. The Zen master? He would. You know, again, I think he had a blueprint with the triangle offense, kind of like Belichick's offense for the Patriots. You know, plug guys in, but MJ was the guy who, you know, would really, I guess, people wanted to offend him less than the head coach. Yeah. Because I I think Michael took it in a way where Phil would be like, oh, come on, guys, let's, you know, let's go. And then MJ may have a little bit saltier language to say, you know, I'm going to get in your grill and you're going to do it this way or, you know, that's not going to be good for you. You know, so. there's a there's a book about Zen Buddhism that I'd like you to read. This is Phil Jackson coaching. I, I, I want to I give you this book. Wherever you go, there you are. And then and then I think, just think it'll elevate your game to a whole new level. Yeah. I mean, I you know, when I lived in Connecticut, we used to watch Phil Jackson when he played for the Knicks. And even back then, my dad didn't like him. He's just, <laughs> <laughs> you 
it's just like because he was a hippie. Well, you know, just you could tell it was like, all right, obviously you have some ability, but you know, back then there was you drive the basketball in the lane back in those days. You're going to get kicked three times, elbowed in the ribs, and hit in the face, and they probably only call it three out of six times. So he'd go in there, you know, whatever he was trying to do. <laughs> it just looked weird. I don't, I don't know. It kind of was like Barishnikov trying to play basketball. Was like, you know, not really going with the same kind of aggression and, you know, thought that most guys did. Yeah, okay. Right. You're John Havlicek and Dave Cowan's guys. Dave DeBusher. Uh, Dave DeBusher, yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, the, uh, to go back to the Belichick book, whenever, a, uh, you know, his assistants are always highly sought after. And whenever somebody would leave Belichick's staff, he would always say, well, I hope you learned something while you were here. And... Mm -hmm. um, I think that's an interesting dynamic, uh, the difference between a coach and a teacher. And, and you seem to be saying that at, 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 at its best, a coach is a teacher. I mean, yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully that, yeah, there, you know, uh, there's a, a very prominent school in this area, college that, you know, as, kind of dear to my heart their football coach supposedly is not big on letting his paid assistants do a whole lot so he's you know the head coach and he's in charge of one aspect of the game and you know he is quote unquote pretty uh, just hardcore on coaches um which again you know i mean i I don't think you want people doing things out of fear. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to say this, even though I know it's going to help us, but I don't want to get yelled at. You know, it's like, you got to have that input. You hired them again. Like we were talking with the parents, let these guys do, do what you brought them in to do. Uh, you know, I think that's why Saban and Alabama are like the new England equivalent, you know, equivalent of new England, their, their coaches. That's who people want because of that culture and what they've been around and what, you know, what they know and what Nick's allowed them to do. And of course getting, you know, nothing but a plus plus top cream of the crop guys. Yeah. That helps too. But yeah, roll tide. to year to year in year out, be that good, you know, all the time, there's gotta be something to it that, you know, those guys are doing every year the same way. The message is the same. The way it's delivered is the same, that those guys are getting it, you know? I mean, it's it's kind of crazy how all those coaches, you know, that tree is just pretty narrow that Alabama guys go and go out. And like all those guys came from Ohio and Miami of Ohio with Schottenheimer and, you know, under Schembechler and you got all, you know, Lou Holtz and those guys come out of those areas, you know, all those guys, the Stoops brothers and, all those guys are all, you know, kind of, it's like the six six degrees of Kevin Bacon there. You know, those guys 
all are connected somehow, somehow back to Ohio or college or high school and, in Ohio. And Western, and Western Pennsylvania. Yeah, and all those. And it's like, you know, if you look at any of their starting spots and where they've gone, they've all either been on staffs together beforehand. They've all been, you know, you start out as the special teams guy somewhere. And then, you know, and it's kind of weird now looking at the reverse when you see the college guys may have stopped for a while and then they go to uh, you know, go to pro and then come back to college, like Spike Dykes at SMU, you know, run and shoot guy, kind of started that whole thing with Mouse Davis and guys like that, and then now he's back in college doing a great job. Sonny Luttrell was at North Texas, same kind of thing. Those guys go, do whatever they did, may not have worked out, come back, you know, got a little bit different zest to them now with a little bit of the pressure off. Um, you, you, you're keeping me jumping here, uh, uh, Pete. Uh, <laughs> well, you can go make dinner. I know it's no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. I, there's just a, a lot of a lot of things. So, so um, you, you were talking. Um, okay, so the difference between a coach and a teacher teacher is that a teacher teacher also doesn't have to know who's in foul trouble. Or you know which way the wind's blowing, and I mean there's a there's a tactical aspect of being a coach that an algebra teacher or a, a, a French teacher doesn't typically have to worry about. Right, and there is overlay though when you you know you have to find out what kind of learner the kid is, either as a student or as a player. Yeah. Are you a visual guy? Are you an auditory guy? Are you you know do you need to? do something three times before you know you get it do you you know do you need extra help do you need you know whatever it is teacher slash coach needs to know that know that early um you know again it's you know no one cares what you know until they know how much you care you know that's one of those sayings it's you know they until they know you care about them they're not really caring what you say okay so again as a coach i think that's Hopefully, one of the strong points of my career. So, you know, I, I like to be involved. I like to know that you're, you know, a trumpet player and learning French besides, you know, trying to pitch and, you know, hit a baseball, um, that kind of stuff. You know, I, I like knowing and I think being, you know, being a former teacher, knowing the whole kid is is super important because there's, you know, you can use that as a coach to, you know, pull certain strings at a time instead of just the coach who yells. After a while, that falls on deaf ears. You you were saying nobody likes to do things for the guy, or nobody likes to do things out of fear. And, right. and you're familiar with the, the the histories, the the popular histories written by Stephen Ambrose, right? And like yeah, his, his right. book, Citizen Soldiers, talked about um, uh, the American soldier in the European theater, and. And it, he contended, I think, in that book that a, a, a free man makes for a better soldier than um, someone who lives under a totalitarian r regime. That they're at more more liberty to use initiative and um, uh, you know. Uh, um, yeah. And and their motivation is is different too. Maybe they I don't know find a a, a higher 
purpose in what they're doing other than they're just afraid of Comrade Stalin if they take one step backwards. Right. No, I, I think that in every war, I, I, you know, you can find examples of that. You know, the Revolutionary War where guys were fighting, hey, you spend a year in the militia, you're free. You know, I'm going to fight a little hard, <laughs> a little harder under those, you know, those circumstances than, hey, you're going to put in a couple of years, you know, if you make it back, you're still working on, you know, my, my back 40. I, I'm not going to work that hard. <laughs> I'm not, not going to probably do as, you know, as good a job as if, hey, you win this, you're free. Yeah, you know, Civil yeah. War, same thing, you know. So uh, I think any of that, it, it, and again, there's, you know, there's probably a lot of people who would argue that, you know, my thought is wrong, but I, I've found success with it. Uh, I mean, I, I, I wanted to be treated that way when I played. I had one guy who was like that and one who was, you know, kind of a an aloof yeller. Yeah. You know, kind yeah. of just yell, 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 yell. Okay, well. Do you remember the Monday Night Football game where Mike Ditka grabbed Mike Tomzak's? I think McMahon had, had left the Bears, and so Tomzak was kind of the guy, or, or it was maybe when McMahon was hurt all the time. Uh and, and he grabs Tom Zach's face mask and just, just berates him, just upbraids him on national TV. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know if it broke Mike Tom Zach's spirit or not, or mm-hmm. if maybe Mike Tom Zach's just who you get when you can't get Vinny Testaverde. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but, I mean, it seemed like he never was able to um, so, so Mike Ditka had this big personality and, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it, it fit in 1985, but, but I always come around to who would you rather have as your next door neighbor, Ditka or Tony Dungy? I yeah. mean, you know, Tony Dungy's a little churchy for me, but right. you know, um, but it seems like a super nice guy who takes an interest in people and I mean, you know, Tony Dungy finds nice things to say about Michael Vick. I mean, that whole You're right. You know. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, that you always look at that, or I always do anyway, that when people get hired as coaches, I'm always, you know, why? Why did Ditka get hired? Was his X's and O's of the game of football so much higher than everyone else who interviewed? Or was it, okay, he's a bear. The fans are going to show up no matter what. We'll, you know, We'll hire guys around him that'll, you know, cover up the inaccuracies of what he says or does or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Because, um, you know, I, you played tight end. You were primarily a blocker. I mean, you're not getting a whole big scope of the game. Just like, all right, you got, you got Deacon Jones on this one or whoever is in front of him. You're going to do that for three and a half quarters. We'll throw you one ball. You know, it's five below go get him you know you wonder okay well what was his overall game plan i mean what was you know other than if you didn't have uh buddy ryan you know did gets probably out of there in two and a half years uh and did buddy ryan's players adored him i i get again i, I if you're good and you played you probably loved it because he you know he had something new he, you know, kind of wanted to be take the personality of his guys and, you know, kind of mold the, his system to them instead of this is what we play, you fit it. 
okay? That doesn't always work. You know, that's why teams go 3-4, four, 4-3, four, depending on who we are. We lost, you know, these two fast guys. We got a giant 340-pounder in the middle. Okay, we'll go 3-4. We'll put him in the middle, and we'll work around it. But I think Buddy allowed those guys, you know, and again, you you strike gold when you get a single Terry. I mean, you know, a lot of guys didn't really think he was going to pan out. Not, you know, size-wise, he wasn't what people wanted. But, hey, willingness to put in the, you know, work mentally and preparing and understanding what Buddy wanted. I mean, you know, that's that's what made them great. And then when when Buddy Ryan went to Philadelphia, he had Reggie White, Jerome Brown. Who were the other yeah. two guys on that front line? I mean, it was an it, it was an astonishing collection of defensive right. linemen. I mean, yeah, but he, they didn't get to play a lot together, right? Cause well, they started, and, uh, Jerome, Jerome, Jerome Brown died. Early. Yeah. Uh, so so it, yeah, it it was well, and then Reggie White is probably remembered by half the people who know him as a as a Packer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have. Uh, Third to remember him as a volunteer, some as a Packer, some you know, some as an Eagle. Uh, but yeah, I, it's amazing that that those guys were together. Yeah, you know, just, man. So, so you were talking about uh, the I don't you didn't say the but like the Fertile Crescent there around was it Lake Erie with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Northeastern Ohio and uh, Western Pennsylvania, um, and you know you you think about the quarterbacks: Johnny Unitas, um, uh, Joe Namath, um, uh, Joe Montana, Montana for Marino. heaven's sake, Montana Marino. All all came out of Western Pennsylvania. Yeah, uh, and, and those are just the you know supernovas that I can think of off the top of right. my head. Um, uh, it seems to me that the NFL was very much a product of both the the industrialization of America and also immigrants, particularly European immigrants. So, you know, big guys, um, Italians, Poles, uh, these guys, you know, these guys who would otherwise have ended up in a factory or a mine, right? Uh, you know, and then it, and it just kind of followed around the great lakes. Um, you know, think about, G- G- I think about Gino Marchetti, uh, who played before. I mean, he was retired by the time I was a kid in the seventies. Right. But I, you know, I had one of these, um, did you ever, I got one of these books on the shelf. Do you ever see like like uh, uh, so? This is a punt, pass, and kick library book, published yeah. by the the NFL. So this is great linebackers of the NFL. It's got Dick Butkus on the cover, directing traffic. Right, okay. it's amazing. I love that. I, I mean, I love that stuff. I read all about it as a kid. If yeah. you know, if I had to have any discipline, I I could have been a sports writer, I guess. But. Um, Gino Marchetti and uh, and then Art Donovan, who, yeah, you know yeah. who played for the Baltimore Colts back in what the fifties and sixties, fifties, sixties, yeah, yeah. I mean that's going like so far back, but 
I mean, that that era was... Well, and in fact, and then more, more recently, Mark Bowden, who wrote Black Hawk Down and yeah. Killing Pablo, yeah. wrote a book called The Greatest Game Ever Played, which was the 58 championship game between the Giants and the Colts. Uh, a friend of mine, um, a, a father figure uh, who lives in Colorado, uh, remembers seeing that game, watching that game. He, really? was, he lived in Baltimore. Wow. And um, uh, <laughs> you just imagine, you know, watching this thing on a black and white TV with like <laughs> tons of like staticky snow. And uh, <laughs> uh, but that really must have been something. It would have been um, yeah. uh, Johnny Unitas. And who who would have been the quarterback for the Giants? Could have been Y.A. Y. Y. Tittle. Y. Tittle. He was a Texas guy, wasn't he? I believe so. I don't think you can have that name and be from anywhere else. Can't be from Seattle with that name. Yeah, I'm gonna rule out he was from Greenwich. All right, so so it seems to me too. Uh, you know, we're, we're we're coming up on an hour, so we'll we'll, we'll start uh, thinking about wrapping this up and start thinking about dinner. But um, <laughs> it seems like baseball players have interests outside the game uh to a degree that other the the players of other sports don't is that fair or are there concerts? in what in what way what are, are you talking like recreational or business wise or um uh, i guess i'm thinking uh Okay, well, I guess I'm thinking that baseball players skew a little smarter, and and so they they may be engaged in the life of the mind, whether that's uh, art or music or or literature. Is that fair? Or I, I, I think you have in, in all the sports. I think you're going to have you know that that segment of guys, you know, whatever that quarterback who with the well, was with the Dolphins, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, from Harvard. Harvard. He's, he's got a couple of degrees. There, You know, there's guys all over. Myron Roll, who played at Florida State and the Titans, and now he's a neurosurgeon. You know, he's a Rhodes Scholar. You know, you're going to have those guys in, in every little thing. I think baseball kind of lends itself a little bit more to, whereas football, so physical, so demanding. You know, you get a little bit of time off, and then it's back at physical beat baseball. You know, you know, you look at baseball pitchers. Okay, well, they're known for being golfers. They all golf, Smoltz, Maddox, because <laughs> they, you know, they only perform one every five days. So after you know their routine of flat ground, long toss, bullpen, you know, golf. <laughs> we don't have to do any golf. You know, everyone else has got to take ground balls, do their weightlifting, all that kind of stuff. Whereas you know pitchers don't nba guys you know i i think they're more from what i can tell i think they're a gaming group like high level you know video gaming like that's kind of become their thing i think so too uh, yeah i, I heard uh, i've heard that you have some musicians you have you know some guys you know that obviously everyone there's talents everywhere sure, but sure. I think that you know the majority of those kind of how those sports tend to go football i you know, I I wouldn't know what those guys do, other than sit in ice baths and try and wonder, well, why am I doing this? But 
Andrew Luck, he's, you know, a guy who's pretty smart, has a good business sense, decided it was time just, hey, I'm I'm done. I'm going to go do something else, you know. Hopefully it works out because there's a lot of stories of where it doesn't work out and all that money just goes away. Yeah. That's that's a shame. I, uh, um, there was a, so when we were in Austin, uh, uh, friends invited us to a dinner party at some friends of theirs. And, uh, for some reason, my wife looked up the neighborhood on like Redfin or Zillow, one of the real estate, because we, we, we didn't really know where we were going. We were meeting, meeting the folks there. And she's like, babe, I think that this is like a multi-million dollar house. <laughs> and, so, and, and, and so it was. And so, uh, we went in and, you know, we're every, everyone is perfectly pleasant. We're standing and we're talking and, and, um, you know, a lot of the guys were like out back by the pool and like they had this huge TV like in under like a covered you know pool veranda thing <laughs> you know and and uh, I, I wandered out there but um, uh, I was I don't know I was probably afraid of getting a swirly so I I came back in um, uh, it turns out that the that the guy who owned the house, uh, so he's, I'm talking to his, uh, I'm talking to the, the woman of the house, and you know, and uh, uh, she's talking about being in Philadelphia, then being in uh, N- N- New Orleans, and then uh, she, you know, and um, uh, I, I, I just, I said, is, is your husband? were you moving because of your husband's job and well well, yeah so it turns out he's uh, Jermaine Jerome Mayberry is is that um, Mayberry's the last name but he was uh, he was an offensive lineman for the Eagles he played in that uh, Super Bowl against the Patriots remember the one where McNabb came in yeah. and acted like he had about 14 minutes to work with and he yeah. actually had I don't know 14 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, I, I know. I know who you're talking about now, maybe. Yep. Um uh he was a very nice guy. Yeah. Uh and uh one of the things we talked about was um uh I said, "Do you think your kids he had a, he had a son, he had a teenage son." Uh, and and he was, uh, you know, and look, Mayberry wasn't, ta- you know, g- giving like a big like rags from riches, but he was just, I don't know, he was telling me his story a little bit about, I mean, he w- started playing at uh, University of Texas at Kirksville, maybe, um, which had previously been um, uh, Texas UNT which was a black school and then had been brought into the Texas, um, uh, at, you know, university system. system. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, um, you know, it just, it worked out for him to, uh, you know, he, he just started playing and he kept playing. But, um, I said, do you think you have any idea where, where you came from compared to where your son is now? 
And he says, oh, absolutely not. He has no concept of, of what it was like. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I run into that a lot, you know. I mean, people, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, 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 I I'm friends with Vietnamese people, you know. And, like, their kids don't know what it was like, you know, the, right. the, what, what Vietnam was like when they left or... I don't know, but I, I, I think it's good to know that my old man didn't get indoor plumbing until he was like, you know, 12 or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it It's uh, it's informative, and it's part of where we come from and where we end up. Yeah, no, I agree. The fabric of our lives, right? Is that... Uh, well, that's we cotton. Jason. <laughs> well, that's true, too. And I think Evan ne Aaron Neville... Uh, actually sang that song, so you know, yeah. it's got to oh, be well true. Then. See, it's got legs. <laughs> All right, uh, we have had a fantastic, uh, you know what, the whole point of managing expectations is not to get people too excited about about the show. Uh, we want to do a, a, a solid show, we want to do a good show, but uh, you know we we don't presume to have a great show, uh, so I wouldn't have said that at the outset. But uh, this has been a terrific show, and and so yeah, thank you, Peter Peter Jans, for uh, spending some time with us. Um, uh, this uh, one last thing: uh, what are you thinking about sports this year? Anything? I mean, I know you're. You, well, I, you're not you an know, epidemiologist. I, I look at it that you know, I if I was a player, uh, I mean, I, I love of the game's going to take you so far. Playing in front of an empty stadium, I mean, you might as well just go to a community park. Why bother going to a you know a big stadium? No one. It's only built to hold the people. I mean, you can find a field, just go play there. But uh, I mean, watching that, I saw that you know German Bundesliga soccer game with no fans, and it you know it just <laughs> looks silly. But, really? Yeah, and all the you know the guys substitutes on the bench, six feet apart, and those special like Carrera leather chairs that they sit in and wearing masks while they're sitting in there, and it's just you know I, the motivation would be you know you're either gonna go totally towards money only that's the only reason i'm playing these games ian schnell that guy for you know tampa bay who said i'm not playing you know i he only guaranteed you know 39 million dollars in the next few years but he does you know if they come back he said he's not gonna he's not doing it and you know because there's some kind of money issue that you know he wants more or something that you know and blah 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 and it's like, look the fans don't need that if you don't want to play, don't play. Great, shut it, leave it like that. Yeah. Me, you know, again, I, I colleges. I'm with some of those presidents who say if the kids aren't back on campus, we're not playing. Yeah. Even though I know that the sports are the economic basic engine of the entire thing. Yeah. And you're and you're noticing that now with you know entire coaching staffs taking you know twenty percent reduct pay cuts cutting programs, you know, a Bowling Green, who, you know, was a decent member of, a, you know, their league just dropped baseball. Really? Because, of, yeah, so, you know, that's 35 more guys just 
back into the general pop of you know kids that lose that money for you know scholarship that they had it and baseball scholarships aren't going to get you anywhere anyway but you know some of those kids that's the only reason they got to go to college and now that's gone and if the school doesn't honor that those kids are you know going to get left behind and that that's a shame but you know they are student athletes in college so if they're not there being students I don't think it's fair that they get to be the athlete either. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I've i already invaded on this, but I, I knew that the COVID um, epidemic, pandemic, w- was serious when, when the NCAA canceled March Madness. That, to me, was more of a... Uh, because there is a ton... I mean, billions of dollars. At, oh, yeah. I mean, that, that to me was a bigger deal than the NBA suspending its season. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, <laughs> um, uh, when the NCAA canceled March Madness, I thought, well, that's, this, is, this is the real deal. It's time yeah. to quietly buy a package of toilet paper and not, <laughs> and, and not let the neighbors see. And I think, you know, the, deep down, the, the college thing, is it's about those regional sites. Those people don't, who oh. don't, ever, don't ever see those size crowds and what that does for the economy of those places. Sure. You know, that's, what, that's what hurts. I mean, the NCAA is going to be fine. You know, they're, if they don't have football yet, strings may get a little tighter in the next year. But uh, I, I just feel so bad for all those, you know, the people that don't, not that anyone has a say in it, but, you know, ushers and concessioneers sure. at baseball, you know, I mean, they, uh, those stories where those players are stepping up and paying their salary, you know, paying those people, whether they play or not, wow. that that to me is overrides any of the bad stuff that happens by, by athletes. When you're, you know, you say, like Drew Brees, he gives $5 million to the COVID, whatever the... I don't know what that is, but again, will he feel five million? <laughs> no, but he does it. Other guys see it now that you know that drives up to eighty-two million or whatever the athletes are given for that. So, you know, I mean that that kind of stuff and paying those ushers and concessionaires and that whose whole life—that's their job. Yeah, right. They make enough in sixteen weeks to hopefully get by the whole year, and you know, without it. You know, it's not a real easy market to have to be going out there trying to find something to do. You know, you're pretty you're pretty limited till we get opened up even more to you know, food delivery guys or sure. you know, uh, you know, retail stores. Some are probably hiring. Some probably aren't even open enough to hire yet. So um, it's rough. But you were right. Yeah, the NCAA that when they called off, you knew it was a hunker down kind of thing. I didn't know that about Drew Brees. That's really cool. You know, he's he's rich. He's a quarterback. Um, but five million for him isn't like, you know, whatever five million for Bill Gates. Um, right. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean that's that's a big chunk of, you know, money. I mean, even if yeah. you're, yeah. So all right. Well, listen. Um, Peter James, you've been. This has been a terrific show. Thank you for Thank talking you. sports. I'll tell you. Uh, I asked you to tell some Bob Gibson stories. We didn't even get to that, yeah. and um, 
my usual uh, my my aide de camp couldn't uh, <laughs> make it today. Uh, he's really the baseball guy. He could okay. he could uh, uh, and uh, not only that. Uh, He's installed. Uh, he installed a, a television in the home of Matt Holiday. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, he's very he's, nice. He's in Denver. So oh, he's got his. Uh, he's got his baseball contacts too. Uh, maybe we can have you back another time, and uh, you and Brian. His sons went to my school before they moved back to. They were at the school I caught. They were oh. little, but I was, you know, hoping that they'd be around if I was still around, but they, uh, they moved back. So, okay. So holiday was in, uh, uh, when he was in St. Louis, his kids were attending the school I worked at as did Gretzky's and Steven Jackson who played for the Rams and, you know, guys like that. So good gig. All right. Yeah. Almost, well, I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Almost as good as hosting Managing Expectations, a production of the Pacific Century Media Company. Thanks again, Pete. Right. Thank Talk to you. you soon. All right. See you later. Okay. Let's go to work. <laughs>